Welcome back, everyone. Part two of our John Carpenter doubleheader. Once again, Ali, thanks, mate, for, for putting this one on. They Live from 1988. Jared, before we get into any of that, though, mm-hmm. let's do a little bit of up or down. Right. Right. I've got two. Okay. First one is we've already talked about, but they dropped the second trailer for It mm-hmm. the other day. Yep. It's a I'm big in. thumbs up. Yeah, I mean, it looks like they've really, really done their their homework on this. Yeah, the the latest trailer contained that bit with the TV. Yeah, like they had the one with the they extended the part with the film reel going, which yeah. was creepy as hell. But then they had the bit on the TV as well. Yeah, where the kids shows on and they're singing and, and he's in the background. Yeah, he's in there singing too. Like, and then he actually speaks in that trailer as well. Yeah, yeah. I actually think it looks better. The clown looks better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's saying something, because the original one was excellent. Yeah. And Pennywise was by far the best thing about the original. And the thing about Pennywise, to think what I like about this one is, the, in the miniseries, Pennywise looked like a classic clown. Yeah. And then he just the sort of, yeah, the teeth right. would change. Yeah. This looks... Just off. Off, yeah. Slightly off. The te- His teeth are all sort of... Bucky and and crooked and all and this that sort of shit. Stare, like, yeah, it's 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 really. I think they've really done their their work here, and and it's because they've done it in two films, mm. it's going to be spread with plenty of time. Like they haven't yeah. sort of tried to cram it all into two hours. Yeah. So I never good. actually read the book, so I can't really. I don't think we can sort of comment on what. They might be able to take twelve hundred pages. No, so I probably won't ever read the book. Sorry, Stephen. I've just got other things to do. Sorry, <laughs> mate. He's cashing checks and getting right for him, but yeah. otherwise, yeah, absolutely. But yeah, I am very much. I'm excited by this. I'm actually it. really excited by it. Yeah, I think they. It looks like they've really taken, taken the the care and the time to. Well, it had been on the slate for a while, hadn't it? Yeah. It had been floating around for a number of Will years Poulter prior to this. Yeah, Will Poulter, and then there was another director. Carrie Carrie uh, Fuginara, Fugin- wasn't it? Yeah, yep. Yeah, he was, is he involved in, was he involved in True Detective or something like that? Yes. And so he dropped out, and so it was a little bit up in the air, but it seems like they've got it right. Yeah. So it's definitely a thumbs up for me. Yep. Now, the other one was a Comic-Con teaser mm-hmm. for Ready Player One. Yep. The new Steven Spielberg. Uh, I believe it's based on a novel. Yeah. And it has sci-fi adventure sort of tone to it. Yeah. I thought the trailer looked really good. And it's good to see Spielberg back in that wheelhouse. Yeah. Where he sort of made his name. And it's got a this element of that it's picking little, like, influences and Easter eggs from his time. Yeah, yeah. Basically. None of his films, I believe, they've said. No, I don't think any were in there, um, but definitely in that same sort of way. I mean, in the trailer, you can see things like Deadpool and Harley Quinn and Freddy Krueger and yeah. Tron, um, the DeLorean. Yeah, so they've um, really sort of... They've really... I believe it's got a lot of those sort of, you know, pop culture references in that yeah. novel. I've actually had the, had the novel for about 18 months and I haven't read it yet. I've got other things to read. I'm finishing Suicide Squad, as we <laughs> Um, yeah, look, the the novel was extremely well regarded. Like yeah. I just kept hearing about it over and over and over, and then I, you know, went from reviews to people that I knew that had read it that just said it's friggin' awesome. So I picked it up, um, and it's in the it's in the pile. Hopefully, when I 
when I uh, remove Suicide Squad from the top of the list, that one might uh, might slot in there before the movie comes. How out. how do you, how is Suicide Squad the novel? Just off it's on actually, a slight tangent. It's actually a lot better, you know, does it because make, does it book, makes sense. It does. In the book, you can you can sort of go into what they're thinking. Yeah. And the relationship between Flag and Deadshot is central and is really fleshed out about that Flag can't accept that these guys are in on the game and Deadshot's constantly telling him, you and I are no different. I just do it for money. You do it for... You know, basically, it, it's it's this relationship, this back and forth that really works. And I think in the movie, it may have been rushed a little bit to accommodate more characters. Like Captain Boomerang, for example, is used like he was in the movie, just for a few laughs here and there, which works really well. But I think they might have tried to jam a couple... A couple in there that maybe didn't work so well. I think in the book, Harley is more of a side side yeah. deal as well, and that works better. But you know, because she was front and center in the movie. Yeah, yeah, and that was always gonna, Joker. That was always going to be the case. The Joker's barely in it. Yeah, well, had like one scene. And, yeah, I think that, that um, was. And that. there was an intro to how Cara Delvine came across the the Enchantress. Yeah, that was kind of cool. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's um. Less jiggling, too. (laughs) (laughs) Belly dancing or whatever you want to call it. But it's, uh, yeah, definitely, I probably enjoyed the book more. Okay. All right. Let's take a break. Here's the trailer for They Live. things want and why are they here you still don't get it do you boy they have recruited the rich and the powerful they're running the whole show wake up they're all about you all around you blind us to the truth take a look they are safe as long as they are not discovered i don't know what they are or where they came from but we gotta oh, stop them stay away from me put these on they have us look at them they're everywhere We have no other choice. I don't like this one bit. Leave it alone, man. It ain't none of my business, ain't none of yours. We have been lulled into a trance. Listen to what I'm saying to you. We're in trouble. The whole world's in trouble. Control us! You're sending some kind of signals on TV sets. I've got one that can see. Mama don't like tattletale. Now we start spilling some blood. Let's go! Push Come here to chew bubblegum and kick And I'm all out of bubblegum. They Live, 1988, written and directed by John Carpenter as well, from a short story titled Eight O'Clock in the Morning by Ray Nelson. Mm-hmm. Didn't know anything about that. No, neither did I. It was also produced by Larry Franco, who produced a lot of Carpenter's films, I believe. It stars Roddy Piper as Nada, Keith David as Frank, and Meg Foster as Holly. The budget was $4 million, and the box office was $13 million. And no surprise here, 
the character of Nada was originally written for Kurt Russell. Mm. You can tell by the um, the hairstyling. <laughs> I, I think that's why Roddy was cast. Yeah. He had that ready to go. Yeah, yeah, ready to go. Moulay. Yeah. at the ready. I initially characterised this film as being kind of criminally underrated. Mm-hmm. I still feel it's underrated. But not necessarily for the quality of the film. I think it's more for the actual ideas yeah. involved, which are ahead of their time, basically. Yeah. Um, there's some really interesting stuff here. I think this is something Carpenter does a lot in these films in the early part of his career, was ask some questions of the audience. Yeah. And he asked some really interesting questions here. The problem that I have with this is it is cheap. It looks so cheap. I mean, it's cheaper than cheap. Yeah. Like, it's interesting to look at the budget for Big Trouble, which was $25 million. Mm-hmm. Two years later, he gets $4 million yep. to make this. And it it shows in a lot of ways. Right. Overall, though, I still enjoy it. It's a three out of five for me. Mm. I'm going to go the other way a little bit. Right. I actually do think it's... As you said, criminally underrated. It's hard to argue with what you said about the ideas maybe being the reason behind that rather than necessarily the quality of the film. But I actually think in some ways its cheapness works in its favour. And I'm talking specifically about when he's looking through the glasses at some of those black and white billboards and magazines and stuff. That is actually a really effective visual. Yeah. And I don't know whether I don't know how they did it, whether it was like matte painting or something like that, but it, it does look, as you said, it looks cheap, but it's quite effective. The cheapness does show through occasionally on... Uh, I actually think the aliens look really cool, but when they start to talk and stuff, yeah. the cheapness shows through. When you get bit. up close to them, yeah. they look shit. Yep. When they're far far away, yep. it's... I think part of it, the cheapness is... A movie like this was not going to get major money. Like, studios weren't going to cram to get a film like this out. And Carpenter didn't have the clout anymore, I'd say, in 1988. Especially after the the failure of Big Trouble. Yeah. You know, with a large budget, Big Trouble had failed. But also, I think maybe it slightly does work in its favour in the sense that those aliens kind of look like something out of a B-movie in the 50s or the 60s. They do. They look really good on that, as you said, that sort of first... Like, when he just looks at one and it's it's just sort of static, it looks really cool. Yeah. So, yeah, as I said, I think the the cheapness kind of works in its favour in some ways. Piper actually did a fairly solid job, I thought. And they sort of wisely paired him up with Keith David, who's always great value. And, And here... In ripping Nick. Oh, <laughs> absolutely ripping Nick. He looks great. <laughs> <laughs> They're rolling up the sleeves and Jesus, he's cut. Yeah. So, yeah, it's. it's. I actually go with a four. Four? I think, and I, I think the reason is, like you said, the ideas are, are almost more relevant now than they were. Oh, yeah. You know, there's still, there's still a message there that hits home. And I think that's part of the reason why this movie still. Still plays, yeah, um, and it's still got cult status. That and the bubblegum line, yeah, that's part <laughs> of it. But it's still got cult status because no matter what we thought of it, the ideas still resonate. 
Yeah, exactly. Because today's society is even worse. Yeah, it's one of those things that comes comes around. Like, it was relevant at the time, but, yeah, it's probably... It's super relevant now. Yeah. I mean, it was all about Reagan and, and that administration yeah. back then, but... And I mean, there's, you know, there's things about media control and, you know, being fed whatever you want by the big corporation. What's Trump talking about now? You know, he's railing and, about fake news. Yeah, and, and look at, you know, your, 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 your right-wing... It depends upon the kind of news that gets put out in papers. Yeah. It depends upon who owns it. Exactly. And yeah. where, which way they lean. So it's totally, totally relevant. Yeah, it's very relevant. Which is why probably I, I lean towards the four. I go straight into the fact that I love the fact that the opening credits kind of set the scene immediately. Yeah. Yep. We get Piper as a drifter yeah. looking for a job. On the train tracks. Yeah, like he's basically just yeah rolling around. It really sets this bleak tone from the outset. The the kind of like occupy Melbourne setup of yeah. homeless people or not homeless people but people on doing it tough. Yeah, looking for work and things like that. Yep. And then everywhere he goes in that first five minutes, people are sort of staring at the TV. Yeah, yeah. And just kind of. They're, they're, you can see they're in a trance. Like the first person he sees is just staring through the window at a department store. Yeah, it sort of sets this kind of paranoia and this kind of mob uh, mainstream mentality right from the get-go before yeah. they're even talking about it or showing any of that yeah. stuff. Like you said. And so I like that. He kind of sets that tone. And, and all he, the TVs are on the same station and stuff. Like, it's always, yeah, it's 54. Is it? yeah. And it kind of gives the, the city a kind of like a, a dreamlike sort of feel mm. which I liked and I think this is again a, a, something that really plays in Carpenter's favour he's really good at that yeah like, really good at taking those little elements and just giving them to you yep Roddy Piper's mullet well I was going to say Piper in general but I suppose it deserves its own like we had him as a throwaway line yeah in our mullet Moulay Olympics oh mate the man he may have been a one off performer on film, but it's rival. It rivals Russell. It's stunning, <laughs> and it's sort of um, it's one of those ones. Maybe it was the years of sort of wrestling that had conditioned it, but it doesn't sort of move when he gets in the stink. It's just <laughs> doesn't fall off about. It just sort of stays there. <laughs> it's a solid yet stunning mullet. <laughs> yeah, it's got body. It's got Strength. height. It's got it's got colour. It's, it's bloody brilliant. It is. I mean, look, I don't think he would have won it. But no. he would have been a major contender. He would have made in there, yeah. I mean, he would have had trouble dealing with, you know, the, the old Russell cobra fucking the cobra style Gibson mullet. <laughs> yeah. But he he was a real contender, and we kind of we probably cut him a little short. Yeah. I believe it was Gibbo who. It was probably a little bit too much body. I believe it was Gibbo who put his name in the ring briefly. Like we've we yeah, just we brushed him. We brushed him totally, and Gibbo just threw him in there that Piper was somebody who yeah. might have had a moolah to look at. Yeah, I think yeah, I think the deciding factor was as I said, Piper's was there was a lot of body, but Mel's had that kind of short yeah. cut on top, but then it sort of. <laughs> Just went berserk once you got below <laughs> the ears. You know? I mean, his was a fucking party that went on forever. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, his was like, you know, it was business up front and then a fucking festival out the back. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone's on ping and dancing around. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's heaps of guys with whistles and glow sticks. <laughs> Magic. This is where I think the film is at its best. 
there's so there's so much social commentary about yeah, the yeah. rich being getting richer and the poor getting poorer and the lack of a middle class and yeah it's all and, class economy um, consumerism and the fact that yeah. we you know we basically are enslaved by advertising and all this sort of stuff I said that it's even more relevant today you think about clickbait you know you, you mm. get on the net and then there's a a news story saying some shit that it kind of grabs you and you yeah, click yeah. on it but yeah. it's it's being done for purposes it's not a news story it's just bullshit it's just bullshit just so wants you to get, get you to click yeah dollar and get the click on it so yeah. i really think it it has relevance today yeah um, but, you know, more the so than back then and um, the people that control the messages and things like that like yeah really interesting shit it is and not mainstream filmmaking no. Basically, that's why... It, I mean, it was reasonably successful if you looked at its budget yeah, to box well, office. Yeah, made some back, so... But it just... It, it wasn't going to sort of be the sort of thing you'd see in the mainstream cinemas. No. So it's it's really good that it's kind of found a life on video and on DVD and Blu-ray. Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, it's even found a life beyond that, you know. People would... People who'd never seen this movie would be able to tell you the, about the Obey shirts and things yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Get around, like, yeah. I feel that the film has kind of almost like a Western vibe. Mm. It's got the vibe of a Western. The whole idea of um, the downtrodden and oppressed people rising up against the bad guys, yeah. the, the lone, lone, the lone hero in the coming into town. The music even has a slight tinge of Western, yeah. the Western soundtrack. Yep. So I really like the fact that it's got that in mm. it. It's another interesting take. Very similar to Big Trouble, which took the idea of the sidekick being the main character in in the hero. He's not the hero, but he's he's the main star of this. Yeah. Then to move on to Day Live and take an approach of maybe going a different genre mm. with a movie set in present day or in the 80s. I like that. Yep. And, and that's Actually, something that's... It's funny that you mentioned the... the Music because I think the score is actually really underrated for Carpenter. It's a very very good one. Mm. Definitely, this you know there's scenes where there's a lot of time when it's just Piper walking around or looking at something. Yeah. There's not a lot of dialogue, but this you know you've got that pulsing score in the background that's kind of up in the paranoia and yeah, it's it's actually really really good. It doesn't have those notes that just play over and over in your head like Halloween, but it definitely does a does a very good job. Of yeah, and look. Carpenter, Carpenter has got some really rock solid scores. He does amongst his his career, and there's no surprise that something like Stranger Things, set in the 1980s, has taken that that style. No, you um, couldn't really do much score. Yeah, so it's really really good. And just talking, going back to what I was saying about the Western vibe, I think that's part of what makes him a good filmmaker, or did make him a good. He was well regarded in that period, hmm. but he was actually taking some chances. Yeah. Um. On plots and stories that maybe weren't what you would have expected. No. And he's making them work in in a lot of these cases. Quite a few times. I think you've actually, you know, you gave Piper's hair its due. Yeah. But the man himself is actually quite good. He is. Um, I Surprisingly, mean, because I... I didn't. I didn't really remember his performance. No, I mean it could have gone down the whole Hogan route. You know, that's that's the. Thunder like, Paradise. Uh, well, maybe not quite that far down. <laughs> maybe it with thunder, mate. Maybe it t- would have taken a left turn before it got the Thunder <laughs> Boulevard. <laughs> Wasn't Roddy in Thunder? I don't think so. In the background, no, that was Brutus above. Yeah, beef beef sorry, I'm getting yeah, my wrestlers yeah, mixed up. Wrestlers mixed up, mate. Um, but Piper was always known as a bloke who could like cut a promo. Yeah, yeah. and um. 
Carpenter himself actually said he was very good and full of charisma, but I just had to sort of channel that into acting rather than just sort of what he was used to with the wrestling. Yeah. And, you know, you're not going to mistake him for a Juilliard grad or <laughs> no. you know, Shakespeare in the park or anything like that. Like it's, it, But he's got charisma. Yeah. He's got something. Screen there. presence. Yes. And um, Keith David as well. He's yeah. just oozing screen Well, presence. the thing is, you, 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 David's a solid character actor, mm. good solid actor. Yep. And, and it's a good idea to put a, a newbie like Piper... With a good actor. He yeah, definitely pull off the working class vibe that he was... Yeah, yeah for, you know? definitely. I mean, I know most working class heroes back in the 80s had moolahs <laughs> that would could you basically get your hair bored. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> working class man would have done well over, the, over <laughs> yeah. the top of his first day at work. <laughs> Broke the sweat off the face and a little bit extra tan on there. Uh, I actually like the fact that they hold back on the sunglasses till 35 minutes in. Like, you, you yeah. haven't got the understanding of what's going on. Yeah. And it's nice that they actually hold that back. You're kind of getting an inkling something's not right. Yeah. But they don't actually deliver it to like you, you said, until... It's set up from the get-go that something's not quite right, but you don't know what. Yeah. And it takes a while to get there, you know. And, and, but, but I, it... I had no idea. The first time I watched it, I knew kind of what was coming from just being exposed to Carpenter. I was a fan of the bloke, but I hadn't seen this one. But I kind of knew... The, Something the images from it and that sort of thing. But I still was kind of, when the sunglasses came out and that sort of, I was still a little bit, oh, okay, yeah. so this is... And I thought it was almost like a little twist that they sort yeah. of threw in. Yep. And it it actually is, um, it's a nice, simple way of showing these things under the surface. Yeah. Because it is, at, a, at its heart, again, as you said, the social commentary is front and centre. The, the plot, again, is fairly straightforward. Yeah. Really. And it's... It takes a long time to get there, and there's not a lot of lot of um, exposition through talking. There's a lot of scenes, as I said. There's when Piper first gets the glasses on. There's about you know ten minutes where he's got a couple of lines until yeah. he gets in the car with the, the woman. And it's just yeah, it's it's all it's all quite effective. And that whole sequence where he first gets the sunglasses and looks around is really really effective. It's excellent. It's it's probably the best sequence in the movie. Yeah. Because it's still got that paranoia. You don't really know what's happening and neither no. does he. And you're seeing these weird-looking dudes and these signs saying obey and all this sort of shit. Mm. But where does it fit where's in? Where's it coming from? Yeah, where yeah. does it fit in? And so I like that. It, it just kind of keeps you on your toes basically. Yep. I'm here to kick ass and chew bubblegum, and I'm all out of bubblegum. <laughs> Classic. Yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a nice line. I wonder if he ad-libbed it, because that sounds like the sort of shit you would yeah, pull out in a wrestling promo. It like. might have been an ad-lib, but it works. It really works for that sort of sequence. I don't I don't like his aim. No. I mean, he's only seeing a handful of those aliens, and he's firing it's shotgun firing fucking really pellets really everywhere. Yeah, yeah. But... I do like the way he sort of rocks in with all arm to the teeth and he just rolls out that line. Yeah. It works well. The fight in the alley. Oh, yeah. So you said that other one was the best scene of the film? <laughs> this is the best scene of the film, no, by no, apologies. Was, but this is, this is right up there. There is just a couple of absolutely brilliant bits in this fight. You know the thing goes for five minutes? I know. Start to finish. And they Nobody just, takes that kind of hiding. They are just belting the shit out of each other. Keith David knocks, knocks him on his ass. Yeah. And then he offers him a head. 
Yeah, yeah. And he picks him up and he's bang, just yeah, fucking yeah. decks him again. And I think it's just after that Piper goes for the crackers and you hear Keith David quickly, dirty motherfucker. And it's just starts on him again. And then, they're just, the thing I liked about it is it, it is over the top because, as you said, no one can take that punishment. But it's just short bursts. It's not like a Stallone or an yeah. Arnie where they're just punching on, punching on. They actually hit the deck and sit there and go, oh, <laughs> got blood coming out and carrying on. I think Piper drops a reverse suplex on you. Yeah. I believe there's also biting. There's an eye gouge. <laughs> I was waiting for the ref to come in. Oh, yeah, cut it out. You know. <laughs> we certainly know there's groin work. There's groin work. <laughs> Yes, there is. I mean, Roddy's pipe certainly does take a little bit. Of, ah, <laughs> does take a little bit of. Uh, I don't think he's fucking bent. Like <laughs> it's like one of those fucking straws, you know. It's got the. You feel possibly too much. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I could feel that in my own nuts. Are you telling me it was just? It was a case of it was a little bit egregious with the knees and that. He knees him five times straight. <laughs> it's just a combo. It's a good combo, mate. You got the upper hand or the upper. You, you unload. Let me tell you something, mate. That is a that is the absolute definition of balls for innings. His fucking nutsack would have been a bag of sand. Yeah, because I think it would have been sand, mate. It would have been like a little pouch of bloody water or something. It just, <laughs> just been demolished. As you said, we took issue with Artie taking so much treatment to the knackers, but his was like a body of work. Piper gets it all in the space of about 10 seconds. He would have been talking like one of the chipmunks. (laughs) Jesus Christ. It's just, I I was in absolute hysterics. He's also selling it with plenty of conviction. Yeah, there's definitely definitely wrestling cells, I feel, with punches, the big sort of stunned look on his face. But then there's also the bit where he kind of giggles in the middle of the fight, like he's enjoying it. And then also, for a little bit of a comedic element, every time he sort of gets the upper hand, he's like, Put the sunglasses on. And <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Demonstrating with him about putting the sunnies on. Oh, pretty, Jesus it's Christ. It's pretty good stuff, really. Oh, I loved it. <laughs> uh, look, that's probably my final like for me. Yeah. Um, it's, it I is actually, one of my favourite scenes in the film, no doubt about it. I actually sort of had the, um, the ending. It was a bit of a... bit of a twist. It was... I didn't see it coming. I did not see it coming. It sort of shocked me. I was slightly kind of... I I rubbed the chin slightly when he walked in. There they were getting beamed across the fucking solar system or something. I was was, like, what's this? That was interesting, but I felt it was was just... Like, it it didn't overdo it. No, what it was trying to do was, again... Point out these are these guys are aliens. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know. But when you know she walks out with Keith David and and you know Piper goes out first and she just blasts him, I was yeah. like, fuck. Yeah, yeah. I didn't see that, that coming from? at all. And it came, again, it was a little sort of you know social commentary about. Although everyone's got their price, sort of like I, I don't know. It was it just sort of she felt, she kind of a bit like someone like your your Brad DeRiffs or whatever. She looks it? fucking crazy from, like... Yeah. And she doesn't really have anything else to do. No. It did take me by surprise, but as you said, when you go back and look at it, there is she's she's in it for a limited time, and you sort of think... 
when she turns up and then it gets bombed, there was an inkling and yeah, yeah. there was there was things that kind of put you on that path. But in the moment, it definitely sort of oh look a little bit. Her of shooting you still grabs you, but I just feel maybe it's her performance or something. But it just came across as she just always looks shady, mm. like always, and her, her, the lack of time she's there. Yeah, kind of indicated to me that why is she back here suddenly? There's yeah. got to be a reason for it. I actually just, as it was going, I actually just took it as this is a little bit left to centre. It's not mainstream, so he doesn't have a love interest per se. Yeah, yeah. She didn't have to be there to play that role, you know. That was my one of my first dislikes. The budget was small in comparison to the scope they were going for, mm. which I think that's why the cheapness kind of. Abounds a little bit. Like I said before, like crowd scenes, works, for instance. But I think it works for the most part, but it does. It does. It, the cheapness does show up a few times. When like they, the alien bit that you were talking about, yeah. the outer space, and that that looks a bit cheap. Yeah. <laughs> but also, whenever there's big crowds, or there's meant to be big crowds, like the police coming through and yeah. tearing up the thing, it looks like five guys walking. <laughs> yeah, you know, like it just. It, it doesn't look convincing. They were heavily anyway. bathed in shadow too, so it's probably the good guys just chucking on a new uniform. And yeah, like it's look. Don't get me wrong. You got to cut corners when you're working with a sm- small budget, and I think he does a reasonable job mm. of doing that. Yep. But it just doesn't. It. I guess it, the scope of the movie feels bigger. Yeah. And that's because the ideas are so big. That that that's that's what I mean. That's why I think the film is. Is still criminally underrated is because the ideas are so big. Yeah. And a bigger budget could have perhaps realised that. Realised it a bit. In a more epic sort of scale. Mm -hmm. And look, don't get me wrong, what he's done the absolute best he can on on four million bucks, mate. Yeah. That's that's not much. He definitely definitely got got the money's worth out of it. Um, I said before the (coughs) the effects of the aliens uh, up close look. Pretty bad. They're up and down because the design is really cool. And as I said, when it's when it's static, I really enjoyed it. But there is a bit, you know, when they're sort of talking into their, into yeah. Their, and the, the the mouse is sort of flapping. It looks like a, it looks like one of those bloody skeletons you'd hang up in a science classroom. Yeah, marionette or something like that. Puppeting yeah. the bloody jaw. So that yeah, that is a little bit problematic. That's where the you know you're seeing the seams a little bit there. Due to his wrestling background. He over-exaggerates his punches a lot, old <laughs> So he really he loads him. up. He, he throws them like a wrestling match yeah, too, yeah. like a little sort of hooks them so they come of the front of the face. He's one step away from sort of hitting the floor like they do, you know, like yeah, they yeah. hit the floor with their feet to, to I, indicate the, the connection. Yeah, I thought, Contact. I did notice that. Definitely, it, it gets definitely better in the blue the, in the in the in the alley with yeah, David. It definitely better. wasn't on the level of Thunder in Paradise for me, where because no. he actually throws a, a clothesline in there too, but it looks a bit more reasonable than the ones that the, the holsters throw. Like there's out. one in particular where he fights those two coppers and kills them. Yeah, he's really over exaggerating it there. And that's where he threw the coat hanger in. Too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The short sort of short sharp. The one liner, obviously about chewing bubble gum and everything, is 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 a gem. Mm. But there's several others that just don't really work. There's not as many memorable ones. There's a couple that that were, again, I think they came across as perhaps he just sort of dropped them yeah. on the spot or, or put his own sort of spin on them. And sometimes I think it really works for the character, but there isn't any as anywhere near as memorable as the chew bubble gum and. No, and look, not not that they all have to be memorable. But the, in a way, you probably could have lost a couple of them. Mm. You didn't need them. I well, mean, it wasn't really that sort of movie, even. You know? Yeah, uh, and 
Also, he was a man of few words. We didn't, yeah. you know, like, the kick I didn't even know his name. When I first finished watching it, I didn't know his name was Nada. Well, he wasn't given a name, I don't no. think. I think it was more, you find out in the end that that's yeah. what it was. But yeah. what I mean is, the tube, the kick-ass and tube bubble gun would have worked perfectly on its own mm. as his only one-liner because he wasn't, he wasn't a talkative cat. No. And he was a, um, a, a, a introvert. So, but it did sort of—I felt it did sort of run with the character a little bit. Like there's, there was parts to that, like when the uh, blind priest sort of grabs him in the church and yeah. starts feeling his face and stuff. He's sort of dropping lines, kind of like that. He's sort of panicked and trying to put yeah. forward these kind of smooth lines to get himself out of it. So it does sort of build the character a little bit. But yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't know whether I didn't really see any that I felt were too on the nose that we we needed to drop. But uh, yeah. That's kind of it for me because I did point out that I always felt that there was that feeling that Holly was a bit, a bit off. Yeah, well, and actually, maybe it sort of folded back around to the end. In hindsight, that is that is probably a dislike that there is very very little that she actually contributes to, other than you know the big one at the end. So it's sort of as you said, it probably telegraphed it a bit. It does. Um, the other thing too is, and I, I don't know, I hesitate to call it a dislike, but. Being that it was the type of movie that it was, the, as I said, the plot was really thin. So I kind of would have liked a little bit more for Piper to do at certain points. But having done that, Carpenter probably wouldn't have taken the time he did with scenes like when he first put the glasses on, which yeah. in the end are very effective. So it's kind of a catch-22. And maybe you know if he had have gone down that route, it would have stuffed things up a bit. Maybe. Maybe. I think that my biggest gripe is, as I said before, I just feel that there's there's an epic scope here. Yeah. And it didn't get fully fleshed just because no. I didn't have the money, which is sad. Yeah, it is. Because I think there was more to be told there. And it would have been really interesting to see what they could have gone. I don't know if they've done any comic books or novelizations or anything about the, the series. Because it would have just been really interesting to see where um, this type of movie could have gone. Yeah. So... Look, overall, again, I think nostalgia does come back into it a little bit. Yeah. But I just felt there was a couple of things that I didn't like about it. Yeah. Look, I was a much bigger fan of this one. I think this is this is closer to his absolute peak stuff than than Big Trouble is. Yeah. For well, mine, Big Trouble's off the tangent slightly. Yeah, it is a little bit. It's something that he never really. Yeah. Never really dug he, into very well. He much. never. He didn't. Did, he didn't make action pictures. He didn't. No. He didn't make a little bit of action in vampires. You loved that one, didn't you? Well, I'll, we'll get to that. Okay. All right. Because right. Yeah, jumping I'll, the gun. Do we feel we've we've covered it? We've covered it. Yeah. All right. We're gonna take a quick break. We're gonna come back. And we're actually gonna talk about Carpenter, the ladies. Hmm. After they live, um, right. what has he been up to? Stay tuned for that.
right, so John Carpenter, we all know him. We all know his probably his best work was 70s and 80s, mm-hmm. late 70s and into the 80s. Yep. Coinciding from the stretch from probably... Well, you'd probably throw Precinct 13 in there. Yeah, that was um, a... I thought that Sultan was Sultan Precinct 13 through to They Live. Yeah. Is probably his peak period. Some rippers in there. Some, some absolute gems in there. And we're talking about Halloween. We're talking about The Thing. Um, and we're talking about lesser films like uh, Big Trouble, Escape from New York, of course. The Fog. The Fog. There's some lesser films. Yeah. But there's still some interesting stuff. Yeah. In yeah. I've, I've never... Come out of watching one of those and thinking, gee, that that didn't really entertain me at all. Yeah. Like always, even The Fog, it's one of those movies for me that is, uh, I know it's probably a three out of five tops, but the ideas just get me and I really enjoy them and the, the visuals and stuff. I think what Carpenter did really well in that period, in in the 70s into the early 80s, so let's go with... Mustache? He had a mustache back the best then. thing, yeah. That is probably the best thing he did. Yep. I don't know, he wasn't a Moulay... Wearer? No, he didn't have enough on top. He was a bell bottoms guy though. Yeah. The, the making <laughs> of Halloween. Um, he looked a bit like Ned Flanders. He, yeah. Halloween, just a little bit, of, he did. a little bit longer hair. Um, his period, let's say Halloween, The Fog, Halloween Two, The Thing, Escape from New York. There's a real atmosphere to them, to all of them. Yeah, um, and they're all really sort of slow builds. Yep. And he does a really good job with all of that. Um, something like The Thing. I personally believe The Thing's his best picture. Um, yeah. I love Halloween. I love Halloween a lot. Yep. And they're both five-star pictures. Couldn't argue. Couldn't argue. But with The it. Thing I've... is just really, really impressive yeah. because The Thing has got the Halloween-style sort of scares yep. mixed with the they live sort of interesting story. Yeah. And, I'd and probably the interesting go with, ideas. I'd probably go with Halloween just for the... Um, the rest of it, like the fact that it spawned a series that, even though they're shit movies, I did enjoy. So, um, well, I guess the Halloween's thing, the thing got... is, um, I couldn't say that it's a better movie than the thing. By no means, they're both outstanding. So, I think Halloween is because it sort of started a, it started a wave. To, started yeah, a it, it created something. Yeah. Yeah. Looking at this list, I think some of this stuff might have created a bell movement. Are for you Johnny about Carver. to throw sort of five knees to? Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, it looks like he's fucking knacking himself. <laughs> Read a couple of these. Look, They Live was in 80, 88. Mm-hmm. He had a four-year hiatus. He comes back in 92 with a $40 million budget, Memoirs of an Invisible Man. Mm. Do you remember this film? I do, but I've never watched it. I've seen it. Yep. It was pretty poor. It was it, once again. It wasn't really in his wheelhouse. Yeah, and it's one of those ones. Like it's pretty hard to see now. It's not one of those ones that crop, crops yeah. up very often and only shown on our streaming services yeah. or anything. I don't oh, think I, it's even on iTunes. Yeah, and it was never one that was like nobody said good things about it. No. Really, so I never really sought it out. Box office take was a paltry fourteen mil. Hmm. So he loses twenty six million on budget. And that doesn't include any advertising money. So he really took a hit on that. Yep. But he was back two years later with In the Mouth of Madness. Yep. Now, this was 94, budget of $8 million, box office Same take deal. of $8 million. Yeah. So he basically made nothing, yep. but he was, he was leanly budgeted. Sam Neill's in it. It's funny because after 92, like after They Live, 
he starts working with higher profile actors. Yeah. So yeah, Chevy Chase was in Memoirs of an Invisible Man. Sam Neill's in In the Mouth of Madness. Yeah. I had a mate that loved In the Mouth of Madness. Absolutely loved it. Had it as like absolute classic. It was it all about. And I, it, for me, it was just not the sort of thing that I go for. It was all, you know... Cerebral sort cere- of stuff. Yeah, well, obviously, I don't have a brain, so yeah. don't go for that. <laughs> it was all sort of twisted around and about this bloke's mental state and things like that. No, it just it did, didn't grab me so much. Especially given that, you know, the previous stuff that I'd liked from Carpenter was very different to that. Yeah. Well, look, I, I haven't seen it in a long, long time, but... Not rushing back? Nah. It was nothing that really jumped out at me. Yeah. Um, it was interesting because when I was looking through the 90s, I, for some reason I thought Prince of Darkness was in there. But it was in the mm, 80s. Was it, it, was in bet- it might have been in between Big Trouble and yeah. They Live. Yeah. And I don't know how well received that was. No. Maybe that was where things started to slip a little. A little bit. He started to show that, well, in a way, not to, you know, I love it, but I think Big Trouble might have been where... He went away from what he was good at, and mm. he took an option that wasn't quite there. Uh, it wasn't really in his wheelhouse, and it sort of things started to slip away from him. Like to me, Memoirs of an Invisible Man. Oh, I'm kind no. of baffled Just by skip what that one, John. what what he saw in that dollars. I think so. Everyone needs to, everyone needs to cash a check occasionally, mate. Mate, he had mortgage payments. <laughs> 1995, so it went back-to-back years. Village of the Damned, the yep. remake. Yep. I actually didn't mind that one. Yeah, that was all right. Because yeah. that took well, him back into that. was a TV movie, wasn't it? No, no, no. The $22 million budget oh, made right. $9 million at the box office. Maybe it was a TV movie over here. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> uh, yeah. After his paltry box office. Yeah, no, I remember that. I actually didn't mind. I actually liked it because it brought back some of that paranoia mm. and things like that. Small town with... Stephen King style, you know, yeah, something yeah. under the surface. Definitely like had normal. a bit of Stephen King to it. He comes back in '96, Escape from LA. His first sequel budgeted at fifty million dollars. Yeah, you reckon? You reckon they live looks cheap Oof. for the money? <laughs> what Escape did he do with LA the fifty million dollars? I don't know. It's not a good movie. What about the basketball scene? Oh. Surfing scene. Yeah, a surfing scene. Fuck. He hits a half court shot. He does. Yeah. Easily. Of course, he's Snake Plissken. I think this is a a big mistake. Hmm. I think that's the. This is the one he should not have done. Look, I am not so down on that. I think after Escape from New York, there was. There was room there was for a room. sequel. There was definitely room. It just looks so far removed from the other one. Isn't it sort of kind of like a quasi-remake of Escape from New York? Similar sort of setup? Sort of. Like, the setup's pretty similar, but it's just, yeah, it looks... It just looks really bad. That that was my biggest problem. It just looked like a whole different world that he'd sort of than what he created with Escape from LA, uh, Escape from New York and. Remember though, it was right in the mood of the nineties. Yeah. CGI was rampant. Yes. It looks like an episode of Thunder in Paradise. <laughs> unfortunately. <laughs> Money was being thrown around willy nilly on properties that probably didn't shouldn't have been being considered. Yeah. In my mind, See, there I... is two to me the his two biggest budgeted films are the two he probably. Should have thought twice about. Well, see, I disagree on this one. The other one, yes, but this one, 
I mean, that's that's what we wanted, really. We yeah. wanted the, the same sort of stuff. And I guess was, we did. And, I mean, if it had have been Escape from L.A. and the same sort of movie, that still could have worked. It could have. It could have just been, you know, a sequel that was... Yeah, it made 25 million there. at the box office. But, yeah, it's just it's too too different for mine. He followed up in 98 with Vampires. Loved it. Budget of 20 uh, million. You I'm, preferred the sequel, Vampires Lost Movie. Uh, yeah, I actually, I think I did watch John Bon Jovi, I believe. Yeah, did that. Jo- I, the wrong John turned up for that one. <laughs> I, I did see, <laughs> I saw that at the cinemas. I saw Vampires at the cinemas. $20 million budget, $20 million um, box office. At the time, I didn't really dislike it that much, but I haven't seen it again since. I haven't Look, seen it since I first saw my it. My recollections of Vampires is basically it would be it would have been direct to video yeah. if, if James Woods hadn't been in it yep because James nice. Woods and James Woods does what he always does I mean, good performance had one of the it was one of the fourth or fifth Baldwin yeah, brothers the young Baldwin <laughs> <laughs> but James Woods gives a really good performance as he always does yeah and probably carries it a little bit yep Above if John Bon Jovi had a band in it, it made it 100 million, mate. Jay no Jay, nah, he, he was in the sequel. Yeah, he was sleeping too. <laughs> His backside was sagging by the late <laughs> 90s. He couldn't get, couldn't get the leather pants on it. No, his leather pants were holding his backside in place. <laughs> Ghosts of Mars. I've seen... 2001. I've seen portions of this. $28 million budget. Yeah, I couldn't I couldn't sit through it. I didn't really know what was going on. Made a box office take of $8 million. Yeah. I've tried to watch it once and turned it off. It was trash. I remember going to the cinema. Fuck, what was I doing? <laughs> <laughs> that was that was movie Max card. Yeah, yeah, period. Right. I was going to see everything, but yeah, you Ghost of Mars was bad. <laughs> it, it was. It was really bad. And and again, it just sort of once you again. Should vampires at the cinema, mate. Yeah. <laughs> Much better. Much what, better what you're saying to me yeah. is in 1998 it was okay to see vampires, but in yeah. 2001 it wasn't okay to see yeah, Ghost yeah. of Mars. Exactly. Again, Ghost of Mars, $28 million budget. Again, it must have been cash and checks. Hmm. Because. But then, I mean, at that time, $28 million's probably in line with, you know, you're the 10 or 15 from when he was doing it in the 80s. Like. Yeah, I, I guess from my perspective, is. Once again, Ghost of Mars again felt like. I read the title and decided against that one at the cinemas. (laughs) 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 You you were sick of Mars films? If it had said vampires from Mars, I I probably would have skipped that too. But it just said vampires. You would have gone, ooh, is that a sequel? I think I saw Dracula 2000 at the cinemas around the same time. Oh, (laughs) God! You didn't, did you? I think so. You should be ashamed of yourself. <laughs> I am, slightly. Bloody hell. I'm ashamed yet. You're laying the... my own... You're laying the secret to me about Ghosts of Mars, you tell it, then you... You, um... Voluntarily advise us to end Storm Dracula 2000. Oh, shit. <laughs> I still maintain the Judas twist was pretty good. <laughs> I, I, I decided... I, look, I'm no better. I went and saw that bloody... The sequel to Interview with the Vampire. Oh, <laughs> Queen of the Dead. That's it. <laughs> you idiot. <laughs> God. <laughs> Not even on. <laughs> they couldn't even get me to that one. <laughs> I got you to vampires and drank in the 2000. You didn't feel you could go for a three. Yeah, couldn't do Queen of the Dead. Bad things coming through. <laughs> so I decided to skip all that and go to just one of them. I'd learn my lesson, though. Oh, Queen of the Dead. Oh, my God. <laughs> Why? Oh, Fucking no. hell, I must have been like hangover or something. <laughs> Basically, from 2001 to 2005, 2006, 
John Carpenter did no films. He, he he directed two episodes of Masters of Horror. Yeah. Now, didn't you have that? I had one of them. Um, was it any it was good? Loaned to me by a mate. You still got it? <laughs> no, no, no I did, he thought. You cheated up your ass. <laughs> no, no, I did. I did return that one, as far as I know. I actually. Uh, what were they like? One of them was I called Cigarette Burns. I had one one Cigarette was... Burns was the one that he gave me, and I I don't even remember it. I think I did watch it, but I can't re- remember it. So, so there was a lot there. It's not something that, yeah, probably not the top of his pile. Then 2006 to 2010, nothing. Mm-hmm. Until The Ward. Yep. Which was budgeted at $10 million and I believe went direct to DVD, if yeah. I'm not mistaken. Yeah. It had Amber Heard. I think in I caught it. it on pay TV. It may like... have sat on the shelf for a while, too. Yeah. Like... I mean, yeah, I could be getting reason. it mixed up with that other one that Amber Heard was in that was on the shelf for like five years. It was a slasher Mandy film. Mandy Lane. Mandy Lane, all yeah. All, Mandy all, Lane. all the boys on Mandy Lane. So basically John Carpenter in the last 10 years, no, in the last 15 years, has made two films yeah. and directed two TV episodes. Yep. And has basically been making music. Hmm. Which is probably better than... Oh, the and... Ward. and the Ward I mean, was dreadful. I didn't like was that it? at all. Yeah. And then... He's also been cashing in on being an executive producer on all his remade yes. properties. He's, he's hit that stage of his life where he doesn't... Well, well, maybe he was always there, but I've read some interviews with him lately where he's very open and very honest in his opinions on things, yeah. which is good. Uh, one thing I will give him, he does a lot of commentaries on his on his DVDs. Yeah. He's done numerous on Halloween. He's done several... I think he's done a major one on The Thing with Kurt Russell. Yeah. And they also did one... Big Trouble. They also did one on um, Escape from New York. What about Elvis? Don't think they covered (laughs) Elvis. So he's always good on that front. Look, I think he summed it up. He's old. Hmm. He probably got back into his music. I think he... He realised that if you don't... you know, create your own sort of film that you're passionate about. It's 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 not worth doing. Well, he's getting raves for his music. Yeah, well, his I music's good stuff, it, mate. It's, it's good stuff. Yeah, he's been very well received. Look, uh, it's good to see him back in the Halloween franchise mm. for this new version. He also, I believe, was approached to do Halloween Four. Yeah, uh, he was the one who came up with Jason in Space. I'm not mistaken. Michael in Space. Michael in Space, sorry. Yeah, they made a gag about it in Part 6, wasn't it? Well, part 6 was the one where he pitched that idea and then they made a joke about it on yeah. the radio. Yeah, the that's movie. right. Yeah. They'd forgotten that the joke was currently being unspooled in, in front of them. Hey, mate, Halloween Michael time. should have got there first. Jason, of Jason. Jason thrived in Space. No, he didn't. Absolutely <laughs> thrived. No, he didn't. <laughs> but... Look, it's good to see him back in the Halloween franchise, but overall, I don't think we'll see a lot from him. No, filmmaking wise, I don't think. Yeah, I don't think there's much left there. I'd like to see Netflix throw a bit of cash at him and see what he could produce, or maybe give him some some money to sort of whip out a. a oh, you're smaller... a little bit worried about their debt currently, aren't you? They're twenty five billion dollars <laughs> in debt. I don't yeah. know, understand the business model. The business model is spend pay, money spend to money not money make now. any. Yeah. No, 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 spend money now to make a shitload of original content that you then cash in on merchandising for years to come. Yeah, my last Stranger Things. Just on a side note, I see Disney's going to. Put out their own streaming service, mm. 2019. Yes. And basically then they're also going to put out an ESPN streaming service because yep. they own ESPN. 
That's a song. Got nothing to do with John Cameron. You you'll be fucking streaming everything. Uh, Fox Disney, Hill. Foxtel, there'll be something else on there. There is something else that's already coming out. DC's, they're doing, they're doing their own one. Are they? So, yeah. God, I'll have to pick and choose, I think. All right, well... Stan, go on. As a quick sort of overview of John Carpenter's later work, mm-hmm. not a patch on his, on his original work. No. Not even close. To me, they live in big trouble. I, I love them both. Yeah. But... They're not on par the with that stuff. Yeah, that was the start of the decline. So anything in the nineties is not even, not even close to they live. No, um, they live's a step above. Yep. So it's really interesting to see the trajectory of his career. Thanks everyone for listening. Thanks Ali again for bringing up both of these pictures, and uh, we really enjoyed checking them out and um, looking back on them. If you want to get in touch with us, send us an email at thrillme at iinet.net.au. Like us on Facebook, Thrill Me Podcast Australia, or on Podomatic at thrillme.podomatic.com. Next episode, keep an eye on our Facebook page and we'll let you know what we're going to cover. Hopefully, Gibbo will return. Yes. Um, It'll probably be his pick. But until then, take it easy. Find the podcast at Podomatic or on iTunes. Don't forget to rate and review. Like us on Facebook at Thrill Me Podcast Australia or contact us at Thrill Me, all one word, all lowercase, at iinet.net.au.